ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on Sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, Clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Versalips, to be your best, you need to squat your best. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, Contact them today at axnes.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, long line, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment, all you gotta do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. And Versalips. When you're at the gym working on your squats, building your leg strength for the next rescue mission, depth matters. If you're like me, getting below parallel on your squats is tough. Well, allow me to introduce Versalips Heel Inserts. These gems have become one of my new favorite accessories in my gym bag. Simply place them into your regular training shoe, either on top or underneath the insole, and BAM! You've got a heel lift benefit of a weightlifting shoe, but the comfort and flexibility of your regular trainer. So the next time your workout just has heavy squats, grab your V2 strength inserts. Or how about a run, pull up, push up, air squat, and another run? Grab your V2 endurance inserts. Or my own personal workout of running, clusters, and ring muscle-up. Grab your original V2 inserts and go crush it. 
Check them out today at vlifts.com or on Instagram at Versalift. And when you're ready to get a few pair of your own, make sure you get your 10% off with the Real Rescue discount code. Squat well, friends. In this episode, we are joined by a few sailors from our U.S. Navy. These guys put together a training that revolved around rescue, multiple people. It was insane. We get a full debrief from these guys coming up next. But before we get into that, we got to do a little disclaimer. So the Department of Defense disclaimer, the view and opinions presented are those of the speaker and do not necessarily represent the views of the DOD or its components. Now with that out of the way, I'd like to please welcome our next guests, Mr. Todd, Corey, and Ryan from the United States Navy. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Uh, today is going to be kind of an interesting conversation because I've got a couple guys from the United States Navy. we got a couple of rescue swimmers here and a health services technician. HS, uh, what's your rank? You're an HS what? HM. HM? HMC. Yeah. yeah, you guys call them HSs. We call them hospital corpsmen. Oh. So you, yeah, H, same thing. Same, same. Yeah, go oh, okay. Coast Guard, right? Got it. Yeah. And I got two Navy Thanks. rescue swimmers with me. Uh, that'd be Corey and Todd. What's up, fellas? What's up? How's it going? Navy swimmers. Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so I, here's the deal, guys, is we've got you guys on because you guys just did an amazing, uh, like, exercise, training exercise down out of Norfolk, Virginia. So um, the, the full – you guys are going to give me the full story, which is going to be really fun, but – like the short version is you went like all out in this major, it's called the Tarpon Springs training exercise and like multiple air assets, Corman jumping in and doing crazy stuff on patients. And is that kind of the short version? Yeah, you absolutely crushed the short version. Yes. <laughs> all right. I like that. I like that. So we're going to de- we're going to like dive deep into this, which is going to be fun. But before I get too far into it, Todd, I'd like to start with you. If you don't mind, just kind of introduce yourself to everybody and a little bit of background about you, U.S. Navy, and how you became a swimmer. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Master Chief here at the wing, um, I started out as a dry air crewman. So I started out on 53s. The job was okay, but helicopter rescue swimmers look way cooler. So I put a package in, obviously, right? (laughs) Put a package in, went down to rescue swimmer school as like a fleet returnee, we call it. Uh, Graduated from there, went to my first squadron, had a great time. Screened to go to special operations, worked with the SEAL teams for about six years, and then back to the fleet to uh, a few more squadrons, and here I am. Nice. Now, and correct me if I'm wrong. So again, I, I don't know a whole lot of Navy stuff as far as um, like units and wings and everything, but you're in charge of the entire wing. Is that is that right? Uh, I'm in charge of all the helicopter rescue swimmers and in route care corpsmen for the helicopter wing here in Norfolk. So how many people are you in charge of? So there's about 500 people roughly that fall underneath us. What? That's Yeah, it's a pretty huge wing. Wow. Nice. I like that. All right. If I need to call somebody with some authority, I'm calling you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Corey, let me come to you, man. Uh, a little background about you and and how, how you got to where you're at. Yeah, I'm uh, Chief Corey Hedges. Uh, right now, I'm uh, the StuCon chief, so I run the students at the, uh, the FRAC. So we teach, that's where we teach the kids how to fly in the helicopter. I uh, started out my career as an HS crewman back in the day. I did started with anti-submarine warfare in the Foxtrot Hotel. We sold all those helicopters. We don't have them anymore. Uh, and then I turned into HSC-9. That's where I went from Jacksonville, Florida to uh, the wonderful Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, I did my first deployment on the, uh, the Truman, and then I hit the bush. And then from here, I went to Whidbey Search and Rescue, and I did that for four years. Uh, that's where we did all the station SAR, all civilian rescues. 
And then from there, I came to HSC 11, where I just left the Truman. And now I'm at HSC 2, running the schoolhouse. Oh, I love it. All right, Ryan, you're up, my friend. Hey, what's up? Uh, Ryan Honnell, HMC type. Um, started off uh, as a boat mule, as a bosun mate back in the day. Uh, decided to cross right and go SAR. Uh, first duty station doing SAR was Cherry Point Search and Rescue um, down in North Carolina. Uh, we don't have it anymore. It shut down back in 2015, but flew on the 46s. Um, from there, came back to the blue side. That was a Marine Corps billet. Uh, came back to the blue side, and I've been in Norfolk since 2010. So for the last 12 years, uh, bouncing around, doing the A Street shuffle uh, between commands over there. Now I'm at HC 26. I'm the uh, uh, safety and medical chief, um, and I'll be there until time to get out yeah buddy which is gonna be soon and i'm excited for you man i know we talked about yeah, that man. a little bit offline but was about to retire ooh, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you said you went back to blue i have no idea what that means so 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 for your so you gotta the, remember man i'm a yeah, coasty sorry. i i don't go past my knees you navy boy you go deep, <laughs> deep water. um so on the the navy side of the house corman supply medical um uh coverage for the navy and for the marine corps and uh so when i was at cherry point i was under the marine corps and then came back to the blue side the navy side and i've been here ever since got it the uniform it's all yeah. coming together now i like that nice. <laughs> very simple right that's how we roll yeah 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 <laughs> right, i like simple <laughs> shit keep it simple stupid uh you, never mind never mind never mind all right so now let's get into this exercise a little bit um i'll tell you what let's Let's start, Todd, if you don't mind, give us a rundown as you're in charge of a whole bunch of people. What is it that you guys were trying to accomplish and, and why? Yeah, so we originally started this exercise as like a Hatter DISCA preparation exercise. So humanitarian uh, disaster relief uh, type of mission set that we get tasked with every hurricane season. Uh, we found that... <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, especially on the East Coast. Right. Uh -huh. So, you know, something that you guys do on the daily, right? Uh, we, uh -huh. you know, we do seasonally. Uh, I love but that. some of the skills required. <laughs> it's hurricane season. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> sorry. That's, I'm sorry for that's everybody much, that's been affected. That's pretty much how it happens, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we found that some of the skills that uh, that we need for those specific mission sets uh, we're getting kind of atrophied uh, throughout the year because we're so focused on an overland mission, right? We're so focused on Iraq and Afghanistan, and we have been for the last 20 years. Uh, so as we started to like kind of peel back the onion on uh, what we did for Tarpon Springs 1.0 and 2.0, we, we started to look at some strategic guidance and some questions from, uh, you know, some high-level uh, commanders, like, hey, what happens in the high-end fight? What happens for search and rescue? Uh, how would we be able to handle a disaster at sea? So as it's evolved from 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0, uh, 3.0, we did a lot of expeditionary air base operations. Can we put a helicopter squadron alone and unafraid uh, at some point on land and have them affect rescues and operate out of that? Right. We had some success there. And then we moved into 4.0, uh, which I'll cook over to, to Corey and Ryan, which we focus solely on. Hey, what happens if we lose the ship at sea? What happens in a mass casualty at sea scenario in 2022 and beyond? Right. We've got a lot of lessons learned from the Indianapolis. We've learned a lot. Right. But we haven't trained to that. We haven't put that many patients on a helicopter from a maritime environment. Uh, in a training uh, scenario in a very long time, or if ever, right? So we started calling around to other units. Hey, are you guys training to this? Um, no, we're not. Uh, we're training to this in a limited scope, right? Picking up one survivor here, one survivor there, and then simulating a bunch or simulating a down pilot. But no one was training specifically to this with helicopters. So we, we wow. decided like, hey, let's tackle this. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, was was what we said. And, and we wanted to get after it in some capacity. Uh, so here we call the Coast Guard. You guys came in uh, like a, a knight in shining armor with the, the Frank Drew. Yeah, 
the Frank Jew is like, yeah, yeah, I'll absolutely help you guys out. So we're like, perfect. We've got our vessel in distress uh, potentially going down and we can use this uh, to, you know, to support our mass casualty at sea scenario. So then I'll, I'll kick it over to Corey and, and let him run down the plan. Hit me, yeah, Corey. So, <clears throat> I like it. Yeah. So I'm not going to give, I didn't do all the whole thing. So the crews, whatever. So we had, I had a guy strategically put at every single spot. They, they took um, one, each event was ran by a chief that was on the seawall. And I chose the best. And that's why Ryan was running the uh, the medical. He's the best in the seawall. So for this scenario. Nice, Ryan. Did you see that? That was a little shout out <laughs> yeah, to you, Ryan. Like that primer, Ryan? Like, come on, man. Somebody owes somebody yeah, beer for that one. <laughs> <laughs> So for the uh, so initially when we started the planning phase, uh, the wing and Todd they were like, hey, we want to focus in on the maritime environment, uh, talking about the future fight, what could potentially happen in the future. And he said, so mass cas over water and medical treatment is what we want you to get after. So originally the plan uh, was mass cas over water, but as the plan evolved, uh, it turned into a lot more. So the initial event was, well, I guess in the brief, we gave the flight crews a very minimal brief of exactly what was going to happen. It was basically just an overview just for their planning and what we would have in a normal mission. Hey, this is potentially what could happen. We basically said there could be some stuff over land, there could be some stuff over water, and there's probably going to be some medical transport at the end, which encompasses basically any possible rescue that you could have. So as the day of the event uh, kickoff, unfortunately, there was a little bit of weather that rolled in. Uh, but we had flight crews fight the weather, uh, which, again, was is uh, very common on the East Coast and very common to rescues because people usually don't get hurt on flatland uh, when it's beautiful yeah. outside. It's a nice, honey, <laughs> sunny, hot day. It's always the worst day to take off in a rescue. And you guys know that they don't call it DOD assets unless, uh, you know, nobody else can go. So it was right. a, that was also a good you know gift from the, from the man up above to uh, give us another challenging feature for the uh, for the event. So event one, uh, flight crews took off from the seawall and they flew out to uh, one of our uh, expeditionary bases, <clears throat> which is about 30, 45 miles away. Um, uh, on location, we had set up, it was a, we call it the primer event, because uh, we knew they were going to be doing hoisting over a ship, over the vessel in the, uh, in the water. So this one was just to encompass overland live hoist. Um, so on station, they saw a patient. We had boxes uh, spray painted uh, into the ground. So the dummy survivor is on location. Flight crews had to locate the survivor, uh, hoist their rescuer down, assess the patient, which was just a dummy. For their primer, they hoisted 25 feet, and then they hoisted at 50 feet, 75 feet, and 100 feet of the dummy. Um, and then they start. They moved the dummy in between the squares to uh, to show their proficiency and to test their skills at precision hoisting and moving a patient via wire. And then uh, during that event, they used all of our equipment. So they used the rescue basket, uh, they used the litter, um, they used the strop. So they used all of our equipment just as, you know, again, as a primer for the uh, for the main event coming. And then once they were complete with that event, uh, flight crews gave them a thumbs up and that's when the fun actually began. <clears throat> so after the event, immediately following that final drop of the patient in the, uh, the last square, a radio call came over the net saying, uh, vessel in distress, vessel in distress, uh, they didn't know what vessel, though they had an idea of what it was going to be. Uh, they had an idea of a general location where the ship could possibly be. Um, but that's when they got the information that there was, in fact, a vessel in distress and it was needing a uh, United States Navy asset. <clears throat> so they left from location, went over to uh, near Fisherman's Island, uh, which is about a 40, 50 mile transit. Once they got to Fisherman's Island, they located the vessel. Uh, it was the only, actually, it wasn't the only Coast Guard vessel on scene, uh, which got, nice. uh, again, a good primer because yeah. when they got there, it was good training. They had to figure out, was it the big Coast Guard cutter that was there or was it the smaller buoy, buoy tender, uh, which was cool because they had to then utilize communication skills. Um, there was a few wrenches thrown in uh, during the event and prepping. Uh, we were actually testing some new radios uh, for the Navy. Um, so we were testing out new frequencies, which, again, was cool because, you you know is better than like is equal to us that comms is always a problem in every single oh, mission. Always. Oh my gosh, every single time. So we had new frequencies. So in the brief, I'm like, hey, pen and ink change to the frequencies. So there was some confusion, which added in some more training because it's not like you get to call your survivor every single time you go right. pick them up. 
So that was pretty neat. Uh, there was, I mean, it was good debrief points. Flight crews were like, hey, man, we need the frequencies before we go. I'm like, well, it doesn't always yeah. work out like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me know Let me know how the frequency work when the, when the boat goes underwater and they lose all power and all radios are out. <laughs> How's that frequency for you? Yeah. Anyway, yeah sorry, for sorry. real. <laughs> no, you're good. You nailed it. Yeah. Freaking pilots. So again, I, love all, I love all our pilots. <laughs> <laughs> so we get that through. Another wrench in, they got to fight through comms, which was pretty cool. So they did. So the first flight crew, uh, they went out, they fought through the comms, fought through the vessel, found the vessel. It was pretty easy. There's a bunch of Navy guys running around this little tiny boat. Well, not tiny. It's actually you know, big for one of us. But they're running around the vessel, figured that that one was a vessel in distress because it's hard to simulate a Coast Guard ship that's in distress. But they figured it out. Um, so they got on scene. They were called into location off the uh, the stern of the vessel. They hoisted in two rescuers, uh, so our entire uh, their entire rescue crew, which was a corpsman and a rescue swimmer, onto the ship. Uh, once they got on the ship, they were then uh, told to find two patients on the uh, on the vessel. So on the vessel, which was uh, Chief Matt Eastup was running this event, he had located or he had not hid, but there was two injured survivals survivors in the skin of the vessel. One was located in the galley, and one of them was late, uh, located super far in the nose or up in the uh, the bow of the ship. <clears throat> uh, so the rescuers had to communicate with the crew, uh, figure out where the patients were, what was wrong with them, locate the survivors, and then figure out how to get them out. One of them was needed to be boarded out or littered out, and then the other guy was uh, able to walk, um, So, which is cool because – us Navy guys have, we under, we know what a, a basic ship looks like in the Navy, but none of us have ever actually been inside of a Coast Guard vessel. So that was cool. Yeah. They had to figure it out. Which way to go? I go that way. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the debrief from the crew was, uh, if it wasn't for the, you know, the helpfulness of the crew, uh, which would happen, you know, obviously there'd probably be yeah. a little bit more smoke and flames and a lot more chaos happening. Uh, but they had to utilize, again, their communication skills of on scene, hey, what's happening? Where do I go? They located the survivors and got them out. <clears throat> so once the two survivors inside the vessel were outside, they were then hoisted off. So then we threw in another wrench to the scenario where as soon as the last basketed survivor was leaving the skin of the vessel, abandoned ship was called over the 5MC. Abandoned ship, abandoned ship. Five Navy sailors, rescue swimmers, jumped off the side of the vessel into the water, which then turned it into a mass cast over water. <laughs> So chaos awesome. all around. It was awesome. So CRM, ORM for the flight crews was, it had to be on point. And that's why we were very minimal in our brief and exactly what we were going to be requiring the flight crews to do. Because we were really testing not only like their physical abilities of the, well, not just the aircraft, but them, but also their mental ability of how they could withstand the ORM and CRM, you know, within the crew. And that's kind of like the information that we were really trying to gain throughout the whole mission is, where are we at in headset? Like, is it the gear that's affecting us? Is it the assets that are affecting us? Or is it literally us? So we had kind of had to take a deep dive within ourselves, which was cool. We got really good feedback from the crew of exactly um, what they learned from the event. But again, now we have, oh, you want to go? Yeah, and just jumping in real quick. So uh, going from the skin of the ship to having the survivors uh, get called overboard in that mass casualty, we were kind of thinking, like, hey, how long is it going to take for us to arrive on scene for a ship that's hit with a torpedo, right? And then yeah. how long is it going to take for that ship to sink? So we looked at uh, Indianapolis. It took 12 minutes, right, for the ship to completely sink. So we're thinking wow. in this time to recover uh, both of these survivors that were within the skin of the ship, now the ship is really taking on water and now yeah. it's sinking. So now how do you respond quickly to, hey, we've got a couple people off. Now, boom, next iteration get these guys that are abandoning ship. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so then the flight crews were then uh, told, well, obviously they saw with their own eyes, hey, just so you guys know that there's people abandoning ship. They're literally jumping over the side. So I imagine the, the comms within the crew where they thought they were done to come to find out that they're not done. Uh, <laughs> so they started plucking survivors out of the water. It was awesome. The immediate action, uh, Helicopter back and left, crew back on the on on the bird, and then they went right to work. It was great. They deployed the rescue swimmer, assessed all five survivors. Um, for our safety vessel, we actually utilized the uh, the Frank Drews 
boat rescue swimmer. So a Coast Guard swimmer was on station, you know, just to making sure we're doing everything all right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Plucked all five dudes out of the water. And then from there, that's when all the medical started. We did uh, medical transport. So in-flight medical care all the way to location. And that's where we set Ryan up or Ryan set up this crazy medical event where we had players from all over and the if, if you saw the pictures that i sent you he had I did which uh, awesome. they'll be posted so on, on instagram as long as that's okay with you guys yeah, yeah absolutely and all right cool so so everyone's listening uh, they kind of get the idea the picture for this so the frank drew simulated in the middle of the ocean and now insert ryan who's going to be like the uh, lily pad ship in between uh the ship that was in distress and now the next level of medical care right so picture like a big uh carrier or maybe like a, a flat top uh yeah. gator of some kind uh and that's where ryan's team came in and this is like the staging area before we get them to the, the next level of care wow all right ryan so but <laughs> I, I actually let me let me back up just i i'm gonna get to you ryan i promise yeah. um so you launched out how many how many air crew in was it two pilots one rescue swimmer and one corpsman, so total yep. of four in the aircraft. So that's your crew getting launched out. Five. Well, five. We have a rescue crew chief as well. For that, oh, okay. for that first iteration, they had six. They oh, had yeah. four crewmen in the back. Oh yeah. All right. So we All right, so that was one of the things that we allowed the crews to determine since they got a very baseline information of exactly what they. We're going to get, I said, build your own flight crews. If you want to bring an extra rescue swimmer, bring them. If you want to bring an extra litter, bring it. It's totally up to you. And that was another, you know, drawback point for debrief is uh, <laughs> what, what equipment we're going to bring and what their flight crew was. So yeah. So the first crew actually determined they wanted to bring uh, an extra oh, guy. Interesting. Well, that, that, see, that's good. Um, and that's not normally in my world, it, I, whether I, even a coast guard or, so it's very rare that I'm allowed or I have the option to bring another guy. Like sometimes you can, but yeah, you, like just slim pickings like, Oh, then nobody else is on duty. Nobody else is around. So we can't, we can't do that. But I like that. Okay. So you got six guys going out. Yep. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's something we've been experimenting with because again, that hasn't been in our repertoire either. We haven't even considered the fact of using a second swimmer. Um, but as we, kind of pull the string on some of these larger scenarios at sea we're like hey how could we utilize another swimmer how could we you know kind of uh you know just give ourselves uh some type of leg or leg up in the fight right yeah man that's that's fantastic all right so the guys go out when you're talking about precision hoisting in the boxes they are they're picking a body up out of box one that this is the land portion of the event Picking them up, moving them, and then putting them down into another box. Yep. Kind of like tic-tac-toe, almost. Yeah, moving pretty in. much. Yeah, okay. so the whole thing was to determine the flight crew's proficiency in actually dropping it. And then when flight crews are asking, so it's not necessarily just the body, but when it comes to yeah. just naked hoist itself, dropping a hook right on patient is key, yeah. especially when, you, when the patient, so it's a single guy, so if I send down an SMT, and he had put the guy, the patient, on the litter. Uh, I need to precision drop that hoist right to him so they can just yep. grab it and we can go. So that's nice. we're simulating or not simulating, but we're forcing them to precision hoist into the box. And again, it came right. In, it came in handy as they moved on to event two. So yeah. event two, where they had to precision hoist right to the back of that smaller deck, and they had to put not only their own flight crew down, but they had then had to pick the uh, two survivors off and the flight crew off the back of the ship. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, all right, so in the as your you talked crew chief, so your crew chief is your sole hoist operator. Yep. Okay, and then your rest now you guys are dual trained, right? As rescue swimmers, you hoist as yep. well as so you, you guys. It was all right. Hey, you're going to hoist today. You're going to be the rescue swimmer today. Is that how you guys set that up going out with the crews? It depends on it depends on the day. It depends on the situation, the deployment. But usually, the more senior guy is the crew chief, and the more junior guy is the rescue swimmer. Um, now again, that's dependent on, on situation, on mission, right? If the two of us are going out, uh, and we're both, you know, relatively senior, it's kind of rock, paper, scissor, uh, who's going to be the swimmer, who's going to be the crew chief. And then that'll be predetermined on the flight schedule. But, (laughs) you know, we were actually out, 
uh, last year and he was a crew chief. I was a swimmer and I was ready to go, you know. Yeah, so. <laughs> West, you call. We're, ready to, we're ready to hit it. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. All right. So now once you guys are done uh, doing the precision hoisting, I, I like what you said. You actually change altitudes. Um, you said 20 feet, 50 feet, 100 feet. 75 and then 100. Yep. Okay. So that is at 100 feet. If it's an open area, that's really difficult for pilots more than anything else because of their, the reference is so far away at that point. So solid work for your, your air crew and your pilots up there. We'll throw them a bone, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm actually um, really glad that you said that because when it comes to the training and in doing the live hoist at those altitudes, um, it always comes across that the, the rescue swimmers and the hoist operators are always trying to get training just for us when we talk about those events. Yeah, you're, you're not kidding. The, the training that the pilots get at altitude with very limited visuals, because I can only do my job uh, with a steady platform. So their training is equally as, as, uh, as important as ours. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So now you guys, when they get out onto the ship, you've got two victims on the ship and, and all over. Um, one of the things that you mentioned is they took off, they went out to do the precision hoisting on the land. Then they're headed out to, to sea, you know? Yep. Um, so fuel at one point or another is going to be an issue as you start adding to scenario to scenario. So the guys get on ship about how much fuel time or what's our bingo. Once the guys get on ship to start packaging patients, any idea? Uh, it's a good question. So we, I had already pre-built in my head of exactly what I would do if it was my crew. So as we yep. briefed the bosses, uh, question came up, what are we going to do with gas? Um, so we had to make our own gas ladders and our own timelines as we built the brief and say, hey, sir, this is what I would do. This is probably what you would do. But we're allowing them the opportunity to choose. And since it wasn't too far away, because um, this is only Tarpon Springs 4.0, and slowly they're just going to progressively keep getting harder and harder, um, we're allowing them some flux room, uh, but we're giving them the option to when you're going to get gas. Uh, so on station, they should have had about 2.0 left because it was only oh, nice. about okay. an hour of precision hoisting training. And then yep. they had a, a 2.0 mission on, on the ship. Okay. So now they get out to the ship. They can, they finish the hoist. Now we call a banded ship. You got guys in the water and now they have to yeah. go into the next scenario of pulling five people in the water. Now what some people don't understand, you guys are flying the uh, Seahawk, right? Yep. Yeah. So that's an H60. It's got a decent sized cabin in the back. However, once you add a guy in a litter to the inside of the cabin and then a basket, they, I don't know if you guys yeah. do, do you have the collapsible basket or is it the rigid yep. basket? Collapsible? Yep. Rigid. Collapsible. Yep. Collapsible. Okay. Coast Guard uses the rigid. So collapsible basket makes oh, okay. it a little easier because then you can collapse it down, make it a little smaller and kind of put it in the like corner of the bird somewhere. Um, but now you've got a guy in a litter and then a guy that you just pulled out of a basket. And now you're telling me you've got five more people in the water that you got to go get. And, and four other crewmen that are with you. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. That's a packed freaking cabin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, they didn't anticipate that they would have to pick these people up out of the water. So now you're like, hey, I've got my cabin perfectly set up with both my patients. We're ready to go. The SMT has all of his medical equipment rigged. Yeah. He's ready to go. He's like, all right, we're perfect. We're set. We're ready to go. And it's like, boom, <laughs> no, you're not. So, uh, oh, he hates you. Oh, yeah, shit's was... going to get wet. Every bandage he pulled out, like, oh. <laughs> I, dude, I know I would hate you. I'd be like, what the, what this bullshit? <laughs> Oh, I, that's awesome. All right. So let's total number in the back. So you got five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You got 11 guys in the back of the aircraft. And then you've got yeah. your two pilots. Oh my gosh. So you're, you're, you're pulling some power and you have no room to work. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's a great scenario. I really like that scenario. Okay. Now yeah. I'm going to come to Ryan. So now they're flying <laughs> to you, Ryan. You've got, yeah. now you've got a helicopter and I get you probably, do you have, all right, let's paint the picture first. What do you have? How did you set up your scenario? All right. So we were, my scenario was set up uh, like uh, Todd had alluded to, to kind of mimic um, the lily pad, whether that be like an LHD um, or, a, or a carrier, whatever. But that was the, the concept. That was the idea that we were going for. So we were using HM15's line. Um, they have, uh, that's a 53 squadron. They have a hangar. And then on the to the 
left or the right of the hanger, depending on where you're looking at it. They have another hanger, which is smaller. It's more like a, uh, like a massive garage. It has a roll-up door that faces the flight line. And uh, we use that. So they'd cleared out the entire hangar. Um, it was a, I don't even know how, you know, maybe a, what do you guys think? Like 200 feet by 200 feet. It's pretty big. Um, and what we had yeah, done was. 10,000 uh, square feet. Okay. There we go. Precisely 10,000 square feet. Yeah. That's um, so small. <laughs> it, nope. And then uh, we had used <laughs> 2nd Med Battalion. Uh, they were playing. They'd sent 10 uh, corpsmen over. And we had the Sim Center from Naval Hospital Portsmouth come. So the Sim Center was there to help with, we had dummies, robotics, um, moulage, the whole nine yards. And that's that, that was the Sim Center's forte was to help get the patient presentation looking good. And then 2nd Med Battalion would be on the Gator or the LHD. Um, and we use them as like the uh, casualty receiving uh, personnel. So they were there to receive the patients coming off the helicopter. Um, they had a, it all set up kind of like, um, like a mass casualty area. So they had tables with litters, medical gear, monitors, the whole nine yards. And as they came off the flight line, they rolled right into the hangar and that's where they got to work. And, um, yeah. So <clears throat> the way that med battalion was structured was they had nine worker bees. They had a PEC, which is a patient, um, evacuation coordinator. We also had a civilian from the hospital. Uh, she's a nurse. Uh, we worked pretty closely with her on a couple other things. She um, is really smart in that um, realm as well. So she came over to kind of help the patient evacuation uh, coordination cell piece happen. And what they were, we had three hospitals in the area. Well, two and then an LZ that was going to act as a hospital. So that nice. first LZ that we did the pri that first LZ that we did the primer at that was a potential uh, hospital we had naval hospital portsmouth and then we had one out in suffolk called bell harbor so they're getting these patients i'm telling the patient uh the PEC, the cell that hey throughout the day you're going to be receiving patients uh you don't know how many you're going to get but this is what each hospital can accommodate for the day um so as they're getting these patients in and they're reds they're yellows they're greens they have to figure out all right I, I only want to send these two right now. I don't want to send all six of them to the level one because then I can't use the level one for the rest of the day. Does that make sense? They have to make yep. these like strategic triage decisions as the waves of patients come in so that they don't cross out a hospital and then end up with a patient later on in the day that actually needed to go to that hospital when they maybe sent like a walking wounded there. So it's a game of, of numbers and triaging that they got to do throughout the day. Um, so going back to the fuel piece, uh, that helicopter came in. That was a perfect opportunity for the helicopter to go get fuel at that point. Um, and the ones that did come in did choose to go get fuel. So they would kiss off for about 20 minutes, go over to the fuel pits, get fuel, and then come back. And they'd wait on the line until they were ready, until we were ready to start sending them patients. Smart. So, uh, just to jump whole... in. Yep. So just like, you know, Quinny, you guys know from the Coast Guard, this is going to be a long day, right? We wanted to prep them for, hey, when you guys go out to effect this rescue, it's potential for, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours. So the the time that they had on the ship was then tra translated into this lily pad option where they're going to sit on deck and wait for Ryan's team to make that decision and to figure out, like, hey, what patient needs to go where. And these guys are just sitting there and they're waiting and they've got the rescue crew chief, the swimmer, and the SMT inside the ship at this point, kind of assisting with battalion and figuring out like, hey, what's the game plan? Relaying it to the pilots. Hey, this is what we recommend and this is the hospital that we have to go to next. Wow. Oh, I, man, I'm liking this more and more. Okay. <laughs> I like it. So uh, we had seven patients uh, for each iteration. They're um, pre-staged essentially. So when the patients got off of the helicopter. The casualties got off the helicopter. They were in wetsuits. They'd been in the water for a while. I had seven patients already moulaged and standing by to take this to take the place of the people that just came off the aircraft. Right. So as soon as they <laughs> came off the aircraft, these, se these seven guys. Yeah. 
So as soon as they came off the helicopter, they went over to the side of the hangar and seven more came around and they're like, oh, boom, there you go. There's your patients. Um, and for the first for the first iteration, we had five live survivors that were moulaged. Um, I mean, you name it, broken bones, penetrating trauma. Uh, we had one guy with his eyeball hanging out. Um, and then we had two robotics um, with cut suits. And I don't know if you're familiar with those. Um, but Not we had one. Totally, that, but you know yeah, what? Actually, so like, going, yeah. So the cut suit, uh, you end up looking like this barrel chested person, but uh, you can do just about any medical uh, treatment you want to it. So you can crack, like there's a surgical one. So the idea was that uh, the, I was going to send the first helicopter to Portsmouth with this patient. And I wanted this patient to not only go to the ER, but I wanted it ultimately to go to surgery as well. So we sent them the surgical model, which you can crack the chest. Uh, you can open up the belly. Everything comes out of it. Um, I mean, it's all individual. So I gave that patient a liver laceration, which is why he needed to go to, uh, surgery because that was like one place that was going to Penetrating wound or something or? That was, that, that patient was set up from blunt force trauma. So he'd fell or something, um, okay. and had a liver laceration. So, um, so Sim Center, uh, props to them. We use them all the time for pretty much every, uh, SAR, Tarpon Springs, SAR medical technician, uh, event we use them for just about everything those guys are money um, and they make my job much easier because then I don't have to really worry about setting up the presentation piece they take care of that and it all works together so that first iteration had five live patients and two dummies um, we were a little bit short on time um, because uh, Corey alluded to the weather and it had kind of set the event back just a little bit I think they actually had some maintenance issues but uh, every event's built with the ability to flex left and right for time. Um, so we leave some slop time in there so that if we need to elongate one event, we can. Or if we need to shorten one event, we have that to be able to try to stay on time time windows. So my event needed to get shifted to the uh, – consolidated a little bit. So I had to make everybody work a little bit quicker to get the patients back out. So I think the aircraft went and spent about 20 minutes in the fuel pit. And by the time they got back, we were pretty much ready to start loading patients back onto the aircraft. Um, so, like I said, for the first one, we were sending them to Naval Hospital Portsmouth. So I really wanted to send Portsmouth a curveball. So what we did was we sent, I sent three patients via air and I sent two via ground, but I didn't tell them back when we were coordinating, coordinating this event, they were going to get any patients via ground. So they had an ambulance show up to the bay about five minutes after the helicopter had brought three critical patients into the ER as well. So they got slammed with five patients all at the same time. Oh my God. So this was, yeah. So this was like, not I've only seen the ER give... doc. What the, <laughs> what is, what? <laughs> yeah. Somebody yeah. with um, some like eagles or something on their uniform is like, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the two that came by ground were like walking wounded. They had like broken and broken wrist or arm or something like that. Nothing crazy. Um, they were ambulatory. They got on the ambulance. It was a duty van. And then they went there and they got dropped off at the air, walked in. Um, like I said, and the, the helicopter had already shown up. Um, and then, so I let the PEC, the patient evacuation coordination cell, um, tell me where each patient was going. And then I had already had preset landing times for each event. So regardless of what they told me and where the patients were going, I would tell the helicopter, hey, you're going to Portsmouth. Hey, you're going to Bell Harbor. Oh, nice. Hey, okay. you're going to LZ Tides. Um, just for um, to remove some of the variables, um, because, you know, Portsmouth is still an operating hospital. Um, they can't just necessarily stop all operations to accommodate us. So it's easier to keep them on a specific window, yeah. uh, which is what we did. So for the role players, um, they were giving me what they wanted to do, and they assumed that everything's going where they want to, and that I was dictating otherwise. So does that make nice. sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. And then, and then we'd rinse and repeat, um, you know, until the whole Tarpon Springs evolution was completed. <laughs> you guys, yeah. this is freaking awesome. Uh, Corey, let me come back to you because you had mentioned like you had three, you were going to do this three times in a row. Is that right? Yep. Now I, yep. And I know weather 
came in. But so event one or crew, we're going to call them first crew. First crew made it happen all the way through. Yep. Dang. Yeah, so crew one, they had, uh, we we fought everything that you could possibly fight. We had some maintenance issues up front. So the main, so, uh, you know, kudos to the maintenance team that works on helicopters. They got that bird up and running, got them out. They're only, I think they were like 20 minutes late coming in. Uh, like Ryan said, we had very specifically built every single, the entire Tarpon Springs. So it was like an accordion. We could move it in and out as, uh, as time's flex. So we know that things are going to pop up. Uh, so first crew got everything knocked out. They hit the hospitals. Crew two got it to me. Uh, I was at the uh, Overland hoist station. So they got out. They fought as hard as they possibly could to uh, make it out to the boat. They made it to the vessel. As they were turning, they just hit a wall, and uh, they RTB back to base to uh, to talk it out. And as they were sitting there, the clouds just kept coming down and coming down. Crew three attempted twice. They took off. They got right to the bay, and then there was a huge wall, so they turned around. Actually, the uh, executive officer of Crew 2, uh, which was HSC 11, he ended up, as the day moved on, like later in the evening after the event was closing down, he was like, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. So it cleared up just enough for him to hit Ryan Station. He got some medical in. He did it in reverse. He came back to me, did some overland hoisting, uh, but they couldn't make it out to the vessel because the uh, – the weather was just a little bit too bad. Um, but knowing we had a good debrief with all the flight crews after the fact, where we said, hey, good job in training to make a training call. But just know in the future, if this is a real rescue, make real rescue calls. Don't ever put your crew in danger. But the limits, you know, for a real rescue, um, not to be broken, but to be talked about as a crew before before calling it off. Yeah. Or call the coast. Quick, uh... All right, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I had to throw the joke in there. I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to do it. I lied. I'm sorry. Love it. But hey, quick shout out to uh, to Crew One. So I don't think we, or you know, maybe the listeners do know about it, but the adrenaline that that spikes when you're hoisted down to that ship as the rescue. Yeah. Uh, rescuer or rescuer crewman and then fighting that and going in through the skin of the ship like you're coming off of that adrenaline high a little bit to then be put back into the water and the way that they did that and they were able to execute that um the the time it took them was way way uh, faster than we anticipated we anticipated hey we're gonna have some hang-ups here the water's a little bit colder than uh than they're used to coming off of the summer months and these guys were were awesome. They handled it like a true professional. So shout out to uh, them. Killer. I love it. Uh, gear, actually. Let me, wetsuits, dry suits. What we got, what are the swimmers in? Yeah, so it was warm enough for wetsuits uh, okay. right now. So they had, uh, you know, full body wetsuits on. Uh, we didn't have anybody in dry suits. And uh, yeah, even, the, even all the survivors were in wetsuits. So let me throw one more question out there because it's kind of, this is interesting to me. Um, so one more question I got is, now I, I know I've done this in the back of the helicopter, but are your swimmers, they don't go out in wetsuits. They go out in flight suits, right? Uh, depending on mission set. So if we're going out and we're performing a specific mission that doesn't deem a rescue swimmer to be active, ready to, you know, for immediate water entry, there'll yep. be a flight suits, helmets, boots. And then yep. we always have our flight gear, you know, our rescue swimmer gear. So as soon as the call gets hit, just like, well, I guess, unlike you guys, they have to strip down uh, in flight suits, be ready for immediate no. water. Oh, we do too. Do that within 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They so do know did those guys have to do that? <laughs> did they have to get, did they have to? No, these guys like, go prepped because they, no, these guys were prepped. They knew that they were going on a SAR. On a so okay. for future events, uh, they'll be talking, um, where, where they're operating from. So they knew that they were already in the rescue swimmer environment. So they, they were launching knowing they were getting a SAR. Next time they're going to be launching, possibly not knowing that they're going on a SAR. Nice. Nice. I like that. <laughs> Man, that, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I'm, I'm blown away. That's an, that is an amazing training exercise. I'm loving it. Loving it. All right. So now you guys, you finished this amazing exercise. And you got to have a debrief at the end. So some of your lessons that you've learned and uh, more importantly, like what you're going to change for the next exercise that you're going to put together. So let's start with the debrief of what did we learn? 
So let's we'll start right from the beginning. As far as we already know, communications was absolute horrendous, uh, as yeah. always. It's like it, that's always going to be there. Always, that, that yeah. is never going to stop ever. <laughs> but um, go right through, like each each section of it. Like, what would you debrief and, and how would you change it or make it better? So you want to hit the initial points? Um, yeah. So the I'll say for. So our idea for precision hoisting event one was a, was a primer. Uh, I do like the primer and we, we were just getting the crews ready. Um, they, we knew that they're going to be doing something very dynamic uh, moving forward. Um, I think next time we're going to be adding a little bit more or potentially, I don't want to give all of our secrets away because it is the next event <laughs> coming. <laughs> but, so we don't just, like that. I know we the Navy. We don't necessarily always, always operate over water. That's our future fight. That's what we're training to. But know that I mean, all of my rescues, but one, is all over land. So we're going to implement some overland search and rescue just to work on their ground skills, uh, medical skills, hoisting in and out of the trees. Um, it is a skill we have, <clears throat> but it's a skill that's very easily um, lost uh, if you don't train to it. So something like that we're going to be working in. Um, I would say lessons learned uh, specifically for this event was, one, getting the assets early. Uh, man, you guys were Frank Drew was freaking awesome. We've used them twice. Uh, we're going to be moving forward. So we've always had one vessel. Uh, we're talking about um, the vessels get bigger. Is there more than one vessel? Uh, is there more than one, more than five people in the water? Uh, that is going to be the future fight. We already talked about having seven people in the cabin is already hard enough. Uh, imagine when, you know, there's 5,000 people in the water. How do you get them out? So that's going to be yeah. the, the future. And lessons learned from that hopefully gained is, what can we do as a crew at the uh, highest levels to prepare ourselves for, for something like that? So that's going to be our lessons learned. And then specifically uh, from the round table debrief that we got, uh, things that you already kind of hit on, Quinny. So fuel, right? Fuel came up. Hey, what yeah. if we had to do this in the middle of the ocean? Uh, how do we set up? Do we prepare flights for the next iteration with two ox tanks in the back, which is a, a way that we're configured to fly? Uh, and then if we did that, if we had two ox tanks in the back, um would we be able to take that many survivors that many patients on board right right because so, so for those that who don't know the ox tanks sit in the uh like the back part of the cabin they actually take up almost what two or three feet in the yeah. cabin space so that removes yep. that that area of putting patients oh, yeah geez. yeah so uh that that was a, a big um point that we're going to take into the next iteration that we do uh something that came up as well Hey, what if there's more than the number of survivors that we have uh, currently? I don't know about the Coast Guard, but we have one life raft on board, right? So yeah. if we're going to enter this environment where we anticipate losing a ship or a ship in distress, do we take multiple life rafts, right? And do we kick multiple life rafts out? Um, and what does that look like? And we don't really have any TTPs developed for multiple life rafts. So that's kind of something that we're looking into as well. Um, and then the third big takeaway that we had, what, like Ryan alluded to before, this crew was stacked, right? This was the, the dream team as far as qualifications and capacity, right? We had yeah. uh, excess swimmer, we had SMT. So uh, will we go out this way in the future? Will we start utilizing two swimmers in the future? Um, will we anticipate leaving a swimmer on scene with the multiple rafts? What does that look like? Uh, and then how long can we do that? And what do they need to have with them to do these type of things? So we kind of, uh, in doing this, opened up uh, a whole nother area of TTP development, uh, which is awesome, right? Because yeah. it, it keeps yeah. us fresh and it keeps us uh, looking and working with other agencies on what they're doing and other services on, on how they're tackling these problems. But super, super awesome stuff. Man, that is fantastic. Uh, Ryan, what about you? Uh, debrief from the medical side. Yeah, so... Uh, um, kind of touching on, uh, what Todd just said about the stacked crew. Yes. Uh, that crew, the first crew did come out, um, sitting pretty with four crewmen in the back. However, at my event that ended up being a hindrance for them because, uh, all their patients that they were dropping off were, um, non or were ambulatory, right? So they'd picked them up out of the water and they'd put them in the aircraft and then they flew to us. When I was reconfiguring the aircraft to load these patients up, they were all litter bound. So they had four crewmen in the back. Their basket was still there. Um, like 
they were not ready to receive three to two to three litter bound patients. Um, so yeah. things that I talked to them about later on was that, Hey, like this is in effect a amphib or a, or a carrier, right? Like if you need to take stuff off, like you need to take that basket off, you need to take a swimmer off, you need to take two swimmers off. Like this aircraft is now, it's done the SAR, this 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 aircraft net is now configured to do uh, in route care to a hospital. So you need to think about if this is what you were doing in the future, how do I make this happen? Like we don't have yeah. to take all four crewmen, we don't have to take the basket, we don't need to take the SAR litter because everybody's already loaded. So you can start shit canning gear to make right. this work because I mean, they were, they were, you know, sardines in there. Seats were, uh, the, the gunner seats were up, the patient's <laughs> heads were underneath them. They had like the landing strip of space right in between the two litters and they're trying to, and they got like four people like on their tiptoes, like all huddled up trying to make this happen. I'm like, you're not going to be able to even do patient care this way. So right. like that was a huge, um, a debrief point for them was remain flexible uh, be able to reconfigure your aircraft. And if you need to get rid of crewmen at that point, like, cool, get rid of the people that aren't going to provide added value to what your, your next yeah. phase of care is going to be. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was a big one. Man, I like that. Nice. Uh, anything from the receiving facilities, like from them, as far as like, yeah. what you brought into them? So, uh, Portsmouth, like I said, we, we ended up sending them five patients, uh, Portsmouth, once all five had gotten there, the only one that they continued to treat was the the liver laceration, the one that was going to go to the OR. Um, they had gotten swamped um, by actual patients, so they were not allowed. <laughs> so to, they were not able to. Job? <laughs> yeah, so they were not able to devote as many people as they planned to. Um, however, they were also not expecting what I had sent them. So uh, it was a good training evolution. Of, Working with Portsmouth, especially for 3.0 and, and this one 4.0, has been a learning curve. Um, we've, we're trying to iron out all there, – there's so many people that need to know about this stuff when we're doing these training exercises that continuing to do them, like, peels back the onion. And it's like, oh, well, now we found out this guy needs to be notified and this guy needs to be notified. So yeah. hopefully come 5.0, smooth sailing. Yeah, no, that's yeah. not going to happen. I love where your yeah. head's at, but no. <laughs> There's more layers, bro. It's coming. Yeah, I, know. I don't even know what they are, but I know this shit's coming. It's like the blooming onion, man. It just keeps going. But that's another thing that's that's another thing that's really awesome about these events is that um these places that we use very infrequently, um we're starting to develop these like lessons learned logs with phone numbers and points of contacts and all this other stuff that we didn't know before. Um, and we were just kind of, you know, shooting from the hip, finding the person, hoping that that was enough to get the mission done. And then we find out, Oh, we actually need to work these avenues as well. So um, that's really helped us out, you know, working, um, you know, whether it be with the coast guard or the fleet surgical team or Portsmouth or even the civilian hospitals, just making sure that, we know everybody um, so that even if we did have um, a scenario like this happen in Hampton roads itself, we're very well connected at this point to be able to make things happen much easier. Man. I, I love that. See you guys. Holy God. This, this is, this is awesome. What a great scenario all the way around. Well done. Well done to all you guys. <laughs> Bravo. So nice. When is the Frank. next one? And am I invited? That's, that's the next like biggest question. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think you got a blanket invite for the next three. Hell uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we're going. <laughs> oh man. You guys, that that is freaking awesome. I love every bit of it. Um I yeah, I think the only thing I I might tweak I'm, I'm gonna tweak it just a little bit for you, Corey. I know you just said a little bit. You don't want to like tell everybody everything. You don't actually need to make it too much harder. Like it, it, making things harder is not, you might not have, like that's a, it, it's an amazing scenario. So many, yeah, sure. so many steps that you have to do, you know, bring it back to some of the basics and be like, you know, throw an emergency into the hoist, put a spin in there, see what happens. Hey, what yeah. you, do? you know, like, yeah, man. like the real life scenario stuff. I'm all about it. I, I do love hoisting in trees and getting into confined areas. Don't get me wrong. I, 
I think it's amazing, but I don't think you have to make it harder. I think you just keep it going. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah they were, they, we killed it with the basics. And I think you're absolutely right. We, we talk about it all the time. Um, 100%. We, we talk about getting better by getting harder. I mean, you're absolutely right. Getting back to the basics is one of our biggest things. Yeah. Talking to the pilots about just holding a hover, um, not even allowing us to go down the wire, just holding a steady hover. Sometimes we travel, we train so much for, you know, weapons and, and all the other stuff that we do that, you know, literally just holding hovers, working EPs, those things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Those are the things that we really should be tackling. Yeah. And there's no, definitely I, I tons of uh, after action. There's tons of after action reports that allude to the fact that, hey, something happened with the first aircraft on scene, right? Whether yeah. it's like you just said, uh, a voice malfunction, something maintenance related, bingo, whatever yep. the case may be. So, you know, if anybody's listening, that's going to tackle the next uh, Tarpon Springs 5.0. Maybe we do that. Maybe <laughs> we have the first aircraft on scene. Put that uh, little seed right there. We're going to put that little nugget in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so I'll tell you, some of the, the, the rescues that the Coast Guard has had is, you know, they'll, like, I, I remember just off, um, I wish I could remember where it exactly was, but off Virginia Beach, there was a cruise ship with, like, like 30 people on board and, and the cruise ship was sinking. Now all of a sudden they got to get everybody off, off the, you know, off the cruise ship. And it was just the workers. I don't want to say just the workers, but it was workers, no passengers. Well, they sent one crew out. The second crew is being briefed to go. So they were doing this piggyback thing to turn around. First one loaded up as many as they could. And then the second one came in and loaded up as many as they could. So the fact that you've got three aircrafts available, all of a sudden you, you know, you mentioned 5,000 people in the water because a, a larger ship goes down. Now all of a sudden you're piggybacking. Hey, the brief oh, yeah. is this, you know, I, man, I love what you guys are doing. This is awesome. <laughs> we appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So, so let me drop one more question to you guys. Cause you guys, this scenario has been amazing. I, I again, I love what you guys are doing. Um, how often are you planning on doing this? Is this going to be an annual thing? And uh, now that you've created such an amazing scenario, is the rest of the Navy going to pick up on this? Are there other like wings? Are they going to start doing this as well? Yeah, so awesome question. The uh, the Commodore and our bosses have the, the same kind of reaction that you have right now. They're like, this is awesome. This is great. We love the initiative. We love that you guys are tackling this. Uh, so they're completely bought in. So our current Commodore is on board with, hey, let's do this quarterly. Like, stop the the annual thing. Let's quarterly. do this one quarter. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all about it. He's, uh, he, you know, chips all in on this. So that's, that's the schedule that we're going to try to meet uh, this upcoming year. And we'll kind of see how that unfolds. And like you said, I think having mm – -hmm something that that kind of ties into the basics and the fundamentals we don't have to make it super complex or super hard like ryan said we've already got the binder built with contacts so iterating off of this won't be as challenging uh to part b of your question uh, the west coast is trying to do something similar right now they're bringing in their their weapons and tactics school they're trying to bring in some marine units so they're taking obviously east coast west coast there's always that you know rivalry of sorts I don't know so they're like oh east coast is doing this <laughs> <laughs> so like all right we're gonna east coast in the house let's go west coast <laughs> <laughs> we're throwing gang symbols out here so look to try to get some, uh... <laughs> i'm sorry todd i'm sorry i cut you off you're trying you're trying to get some no, no, trying to get some stuff all right good yeah, no, no, yeah. So the West Coast is bringing in some uh, marine aviation units to add a level of of combat to the uh, to the maritime environment and what that would look like. Um, they did wow. a fantastic job exercise similar to ours, not even close to as complex as us. No big deal, but they're getting there. Right? They're getting there. <laughs> Shots fired! Shots fired! I catch up. <laughs> but. On a serious note, uh, as we prepare and as we look at the you know the high end fight and what that looks like for us, I think it's super important for everybody in the military to start looking at the maritime environment, focus on that, and are we ready? And what do we need to do to get ready? And start asking these questions to ourselves and start asking these questions to our crews. You know, the idea of bringing multiple rafts as an example is something that yeah. we hadn't 
really thought about or focused on. The idea of having a second swimmer in the water is something that we've seen other services do. I think the Air Force and the PJs do something similar, right? But we haven't really experimented with that. So I think these type of training exercise, uh, it just brings out American ingenuity and it's what we're all about. So I think we need to continue to push and continue to do these things. Very cool, man. I, I'm digging it already. I, um, you know, like every one of these, I'm happy to do a debrief because I'm just to hear like how everything went. I'm all about it. There's so much you guys have learned and, and passed on to everybody else that's listening right now. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Love it. And so. quick side note, uh, for the recruiting slash retention aspect, guys love getting out there and doing stuff like this because it gets them, you know, practicing their skills and actually doing their job. And, you know, a bunch of pictures are taken and they're like, oh, that was me doing that awesome thing. I'm like, yes, we'll continue to do this for, yeah. you know, that one. Alone. Love it, man. Yeah. Stay, stay in. Well, yeah. If you're having that much fun, it's not a job anymore, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Right. It's we're in the Navy. It's not a job. It's an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I gotta throw the Navy jokes in there from time to time, just because I can. <laughs> you got it. Oh man, gentlemen, this was an absolute pleasure to have you guys on. I the debrief has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing the intel that what you guys did and. And I really, really look forward to hearing what you guys are going to come up with in the future. So you just give me a call when you're ready to go. All right. And prior to so I can try to book airline tickets to get down there to be part of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Absolutely. <laughs> we got to do this face to face for sure. Thank you yeah. so much for having us on. Yeah, sure. appreciate it, dude. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, until next time, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com that's jason at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q.com you can also check us out on our web pages therealrescue.com our facebook page and our instagram page at therealrescue again a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today always remember when that star alarm goes off those in distress are praying for a miracle they are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.